Welcome to Adventures in Marketing. I'm Caleb Wines. And I'm Chris Kent. We're two industry veterans who will be having conversations all around marketing and media, what we've seen in our careers, what we see happening currently, and how we think it's going to affect the future of the industry. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are important words that are used a lot, but don't often get translated into meaningful and lasting change. Recently, several large companies, including several of those in the advertising and marketing world, have pulled back on DE&I efforts, citing the current economic climate. Today, John McGonigal joins us to discuss bias in the workplace and why change is hard when it comes to DE&I. everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, we're here today with special guest, John McGonigal, to talk about bias in the workplace. Hey, John. Great to see you again. We've known each other for quite a while, so it's always great to see you. You're working on some really cool stuff right now, furthering your education, kind of making some changes in what it is that you want to focus on. Can you please just clarify for us, enlighten the audience, let us know what you're up to? Yeah, excellent. Well, good to talk to you guys as always. And yeah, it, uh, it has been a minute uh, that we've known each other and good to be here and uh, chat with you guys as, as always. And so, yeah, I have a, I, I would say that what I'm doing uh, in my career is, is a, a hard left uh, to, uh, to, to say the least. So like what was chapter two in my life? And I knew some people who I'd worked with at Deutsch who I thought that just a ton of, uh, one in particular is a woman named Jen Patterson. Uh, who had left the business. She was uh, a senior strategist I worked with there who had become an executive coach. Uh, I talked to her and I'd always loved kind of coaching people. I had some people who, whether they knew it or not, kind of mentored me when I was young. And and I, you know, always kind of wanted to, to pay that forward. So I talked to her. I decided I wanted to become an executive coach. And through some research, I decided that I wanted to get my coaching certification through uh, through an academic institution. And I did, uh, I did some research and I found where I wanted to go, which was, which was Northwestern, uh, university. Uh, you know, I wanted to go to kind of a, a, a tier one university and I wanted to go to a place that was live. I wanted to go to a place where I was going to be on campus. And so that was ultimately where I decided to go. And so I, I went there and I got my coaching credential and while I was there, I went through their executive learning program, like, you know, most schools nowadays have, have you know, executive learning programs. Uh, I was exposed to, you know, learning and, and organizational change, which honestly, I didn't even know was a thing. Right. And, you know, what it is, is it's it's an MBA, but that doesn't focus on numbers and it, it doesn't focus necessarily on the operations side of business. It focuses on the people side. It focuses on learning theory and leadership theory and how do you train people and how do you, how do you structure organizations? Uh, how do you bring the best out of people? It's called, it's their MSLOC program. It's a master's in learning and organizational change. And then specifically, I guess what gets us to this conversation today was uh, I'm also getting, as part of that, I'm specializing in uh, leading equity and inclusion in organizations. So I'll also be getting a graduate level uh, certificate 
in in that. And so, uh, yeah, that that's that kind of brings us to where we're at today. So I had a separate conversation with you about this, and you had some reservations about going down that track. And I think maybe one of your professors kind of talked you off the ledge a little bit. A hundred percent. So uh, for those of us who, those of you who can't see this, which is everybody except for the three of us who are recording this, uh, I'm a middle-aged white guy, right? I am the poster child of traditional power structure, right? And so the question that I had was how can I credibly be a DEI advocate. You know, how can I show up and and have a conversation? And so while I I found that I really did have the you know the more that I learned about really the challenges that uh, you know people who don't who aren't traditionally uh, who don't traditionally kind of hold power, and I learned about the challenges they had and really how fundamentally it ingrained ingrained it is in business. Uh, the more I learned about that, the more I felt that, wow, you know, I'd really like to affect change. Um, you know, the more I thought about, and I learned about this certificate program, I thought, wow, you know, I'd really like to do that. I'd really like to, to change. And I went and I, and I just had a conversation with a professor, uh, Dr. Ahmad Brown, who I just think is just the world of. And I just asked him the question, I'd love to do it, but how can I credibly do it? And his point of view surprised me. And he said, the fact that you represent the traditional power structure doesn't mean not only can you do it, but actually makes it more important that people like you do it, that people and, and the way that I surmised our, our conversation was I cannot be a voice of because I haven't had the experience, but I can be a voice for and that I can, to the best of my ability, develop a sense of empathy without you know, without having walked through it myself, uh, I can do a lot of work to understand the challenges and, and then, you know, be a voice, uh, you know, for support and for change, which in a lot of companies that I've seen, I think is lacking. I think a lot of people who look like me, uh, I think have the same challenge. Like you're afraid of what, like, what can I say? What can I not say? It, it, you know, for me, at least deep down inside, it's a scary thing to talk about, you know, whether it's guilt, whether it's shame, whether it's just lack of not knowing. For me, it's honestly, it's all of those things. I don't know what I can say. And and so it started with having that conversation to have someone say, to tell me, yeah, you absolutely can do it. And I became part of it. And, and, and I talked to some other colleagues from my program, uh, you know, to n- not that he needed to be, not that I needed to, his opinion needed to be reinforced, but I talked to some other colleagues and, and I, I got some, some good reinforcement and, and signed up and it's been, you know, I'm, I'm pretty far uh, in, into the program and uh, I am thrilled that I'm doing it. It's hard. It's hard to do it because it, it asks you to look at a lot of things that are really, really difficult to look at. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies in the last few years, especially, have made investments in DEI 
initiatives in hiring positions that didn't exist before. I know the last couple of companies I've been at, they made a major focus. And I think marketing in general, advertising and marketing in general has always been underrepresented. And the the programs that that we had in place were asking those tough questions. And I think you know, talking about what you just said, I think one of the biggest prerequisites of this position is having somebody who can listen, to listen to people who have questions, have comments, because I feel like one of the things that I heard consistently is that the people who are underrepresented don't feel heard, that they just didn't feel like that they had somebody they could go to. Well, I think you actually yeah. just nailed it really well with two very distinctly different but similar words listened and heard, right? You can listen. Doesn't mean you're hearing or in taking. And to your point, you needed someone that was willing to right. listen and for them right. to feel like they were actually being heard, right? What they were saying to John's point was being heard, taken in, examined, and actually taken with actual credibility and thought about in a structured manner to then create whatever that change or advocacy could be. Would you agree with that, John? Or yeah, I think that, so there's, you know, it's funny when, you know, when you, as, as soon as you start to have these conversations, it, it's amazing. It's like you, you keep kind of, kind of peeling back the onion, right? There's, there's so many, there's so many layers to them. And, and I'll give you uh, as much as I can from, for, for this conversation, what I do is, is, is I'll talk through through my experience and, and through what I'm, I'm learning, um, about myself. And there was a, there was an assessment that I took called, called an IDI assessment. And, and the IDI assessment is essentially my relationship with multiculturalism. Okay. And there are five different levels. Okay. And they're bookended by, I'm completely acculturated. I value, I see cultures and the values of them. And I'm a hundred percent comfortable and well-versed in them, right? Small percent of people. I think we know what the opposite is of that. I think we can imagine what those people look like and sound like. And then, so if, if I, if I start at the bottom and I say, wait, let, let's just, let's just call it's just racist. I'm just racist. I, I see difference and I see negative and, and it's the, at, at my core being, I'm better than you because of the color of your skin, because of, of any number mm-hmm. of things, things that really have nothing to do with the quality of a person. They're just, well, they're just genetics. That's again, it's the color of your skin or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, you have the next step up from that, which is, which is polarization. And what polarization is one race is better than the other, Right. Uh, uh, white's great, black is bad, black is good, white is bad, right? Or, and then you get in, in the third one, which is, which is minimization. Let's not really lean into, into cultural differences, right? Let, they shouldn't matter. Now, when I tested, that was me. Okay. And, and what I did when I worked was I thought I really wanted to send the message of it doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't care where you're from. I don't care the color of your skin, your sexual orientation, your religious orientation. I don't care. Right. Let's just get together and work. And so I was essentially 
uh, a, a minimizer. And I thought that was good. Here's what I've learned about that, though. It's fine for me to say that as the white guy, but the message that I send to somebody who is not the white guy is John's good as, as long as we kind of all fit into what John does. You know what I'm saying? So I'm the guy that says, well, let's minimize. I'm good if we minimize cultures. Well, maybe the, maybe people who are from different cultures, maybe they're tired of being minimized. Right? So I yeah. don't know that that's the message. Yeah. That, 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 that wants to be sent. Now there's, there's a, a, a second part of that. The other is as advanced as I wanted to think that I was, um, I also have a sense of polarization and that polarization is I've struggled with, with white, with white culture. I'm like, wow, white people have done a lot of crappy things. Right. And I look at other cultures and I have been envious of wow, there's really a sense of great culture and togetherness, and and boy, do I wish that my culture had that. So the polarization can also work the opposite, where you can look at your own culture and go, God, I just really, I'm just not happy with a lot of things that that, that we've done. That's also not good. So so going back to your original point of someone, maybe they don't feel heard or they don't know where to go. It could be that they work with people who are minimizers that don't really want, they, they may work for someone who's from the dominant culture who says, uh, let's just not really get into the whole cultural thing. We think that's a bad thing. We think it's better if we don't do that. Where the wind starts to happen and I know we're going to talk ultimately about DEI programs and, and what's happening with them, and I certainly have opinions on that. Is that what happens when you actually say what what the the win comes when we actually celebrate cultural differences? And not only do we want to have them in the workplace, but we believe that we need them in the workplaces. I think most DEI efforts are not about we need cultural difference. Uh, in, in, in the workplace. So let me let me touch on that because you actually segue really nicely into a CNBC headline from today. Okay. Uh, literally, it says that from a CNBC headline today, and I'm just going to give you the, the headline and the three little uh, quick takeaways that they had from it. And we can talk about that. So this is again, it was posted today, December 22nd per CNBC. After vocal commitments from the fo following what happened in 2020, DI programs in the tech industry are in broad retreat. Amazon, Twitter, Meta, Microsoft are all drastically cutting back on their DEI. Some of these companies laid off DEI staffers and leaders, basically downsized learning and developmental programs and cut budgets for groups by as much as 90% throughout 2023 per sources again at CNBC. Mm. Now, A, I want to talk about that. And also, it's actually a really interesting third point, which relates to other things that we've talked about in previous pods, which is AI, which I hadn't really thought about, but is a great segue. It says that some of these cuts at the tech industry doubles down on artificial intelligence, right? They're moving budget from A to B, but with fewer diverse voices represented in AI development, the resulting products could be less accurate or harmful to users because it's taking out, as we've just been talking about, these other points of view, other points of culture, so on and so forth. So let, let's kind of mm. talk about it. What do you think, broadly speaking, and obviously, you know, you don't work in these companies, but what do you think is going either right or wrong with some of these companies and the effects and what's being on going on around DE&I? 
so I'm gonna, I, I have a very, as it relates to what companies DE&I efforts are and where they come from, I have, a, I have developed and I'm continuing develop, to develop uh, a very specific point of view about where DE&I efforts are and I think where they, where they need to go and potentially where they're, where they're falling flat. And it's formed by a lot of personal experience for me by, at this point, years and years and years of, of experience of, of what, it, of what a, a DE&I effort program is. So if you look at the letters, diversity, equity, and inclusion, diversity, I get it, right? Let's have lots of different people. And, and we all come from an industry that was probably as liberal as it gets. Maybe, you know, maybe Hollywood, maybe that's a bit more liberal, but us working in Los Angeles and advertising, pretty liberal. Well, I'll also add on to that is advertising historically has been, has had tremendous amounts of uh, female inclusion. So you have a, for sure, in terms of like, sometimes instead of 50, 50, you might see 80%. Yeah women at, at, at a particular, right. and that's normal. It is normal. So, so we come from an industry that, that has been ahead, but a lot of, so industries, they go out and they say, okay, so we're going to have, we're going to have a DEI effort. We're, we we want to celebrate, uh, celebrate diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. For me, the letter that I have found that I have the most passion for is the E, which is, which is equity. And for me, what I define E as equity, equity is not equality. They are two separate words, though I think a lot of people may think that they're actually the same. What I define equity as is power, is a seat at the table. So I would ask anybody who's listening to this, when you think about the, the DEI efforts that you've seen, think about I call it the like the leadership class photo. How different is it really? Is it really that different? You may see some more women, thank God, but is it really that different? My experience is no. If you look at the leadership companies that I've seen, I have not seen equity changing a lot. And, and, and I will tell you why. The vast majority... And, and I've actually written a couple of things uh, on LinkedIn about this. And I'm always terrified when I write these things because I'm afraid that I'm going to be the, the, the tone-deaf white guy. But, you know, all I can do is, is, is write from my experience. And my experience is this, that most DE&I efforts are, the companies I've worked for, is we're going to hire um, a black woman. We're going to give this woman a big title with... No staff, no budget, no client-facing deliverables, and say, make a change. What are they going to change? They have no power. The, the, my experience, listen, maybe there's a bunch of stuff that, that, that's out there. And so, and so what happens is that you, it's like Hispanic Heritage Month. month. We're going to celebrate, like, Let's celebrate this month all these great uh, Hispanic artists and 
cooks and actors and this and that is all wonderful. Celebration is not equity, right? It is not it is not truly changing the, the, the business dynamic. So until companies are driven by bottom line, until a company sees a true economic you know risk that comes from eliminating DEI positions, if it doesn't, if it's not going to cost them any money, they're they're going to get rid of it. If you, if if DEI efforts equal a, a a new power structure, which then drives revenue, I get guess what? <laughs> Those DEI efforts aren't aren't going to go anywhere. It it if I'm gonna, I'm not going to worry about putting a lot of effort into. I guess we're not going to celebrate, you know. Uh, Asian Heritage Month, or celebrating it turns into uh, a company wide email. Well, that's what it is, yeah. and and so and and we've we've all seen those. We've all seen these, or it, it ends up being really really when I notice that the DEI person is is when it's the it's the company all hands meeting. Yeah, right. And the person gets up there and they show the videos and they show the photos. And look, I think that stuff is amazing. It's just not enough. Well, what I always say when it comes to companies is if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done. So to your point, if you don't have people whose throats are there to be choked, right? You don't have a throat to choke. You don't have people who are held responsible because it's part of their KPIs. It's part of their QBRs to show change, to show growth. You're basically, to your point, you're a one person voice screaming into a void because you have no one else to help you because nobody else is being measured on it but you. And so it's not in anybody's right. interest to help you because they have all these other KPIs that they actually have to drive forward. Right. Can you imagine having that job? How excited are you to get hired by some company and you are now the senior vice president of diversity at company X? Wow, this is great. Yeah, it, It's time for your staff meeting and it's uh, you. Yeah. And it's like, where's my budget? It doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And And so- it's how do you change equity and where are your, where are your, you say, okay, so what do I, what do I owe my clients? How, how do I impact what we bring to the client? And the company says, well, you don't. Okay. And you could have the, the best person in the world show up. And this isn't to say that, that these positions don't make change. I, I, I would just, I would argue that I don't know at least the ones that I personally have experienced, that they have really been given the t- all of the tools that could be made available for them to impact the most change. Yeah. Well, I think one of the other tools that's missing, because again, I think a lot of these people are hamstrung by the, the job description and the tools they get as part of the job. But the other thing is some of the folks that have ascended into these positions came from other disciplines. You know, they came from mm-hmm. strategy, they came mm. from creative, they came from who knows what. But the point is that they were kind of moved maybe laterally or or diagonally in, into this position. But if that person doesn't have the ability to work in a matrix organization across different departments and to bring in other stakeholders and other leaders to help them affect change, it's going to be very difficult. One of the things I found was... That if you, again, if you don't know how to drive a process, like literally figure out what the end goal is and work back 
all the steps needed to achieve that goal, you're not going to be able to affect change even if you had a budget and a staff. You you right, kind of right. you need that kind of organizational ability to be able to plot out a, a a plan. What's the plan? Yeah. Even if you don't have a budget, it's like, what's your plan? All right, you got this job. Tell me what I should be doing as an organizational leader. Well, it goes back to to, to what Chris says, which is what is the position being held accountable to? So if if I if 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 a position is someone gets hired at, at, in in a position uh, in a a a, a DEI role, and and I wonder if if you're interviewing for that position and you say to them, um, "What are my success metrics? What are my revenue success metrics?" I'm not talking about diversity of employment. I'm not talking about PR. I'm not talking about employee satisfaction. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I, let's, let's say that all those things are table stakes. Those are all given. You have to do those things. What are my success metrics? How can those success metrics be related to business outcomes? If they are not, and it comes time to making budget cuts, the first thing that a CFO is going to look at, he's going to say, what are he or she's going to say, what are things that we do that don't drive revenue? And they're going to say, okay, well, let, maybe those are some things that, that can go. So again, if we come back to equity, we come back to power. How does diversity, equity, inclusion, how, how is that tied into to, to driving revenue in a very overt fashion? That is, I think, where where change begins to happen. Well, I think it's about grooming leaders for for the future and drawing upon diverse backgrounds. Because if you if you just fish in the same pond, you're going to get the same type of people that come up through the organization. That may be fine for mm. driving revenue, but again, you miss out on that diversity element of people who have different backgrounds who are able to look at things differently. I remember one time I heard uh, Magic Johnson talking about some of his business programs, and he said he put the first Starbucks in a black neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. he said, you guys need to change your menu for this location. We need to put things on the menu that are going to appeal to this. They want different things. And he was able to change what and you know, Starbucks is all about formula. We're just going to pump out the same thing in every location. They're the coffee version of McDonald's, but right. he was able to put some things in there. And he said, "No, you're, you're you think you're about selling coffee. You're actually about it's a meeting place for people." And so that's what he was trying to do. And he was able to get some change in terms of the products they were selling to attract the the kind of clientele that was used to those types of products and. It worked. It was super successful. Right. Well, that's so, and and that's where you start to get to the larger challenge, which is you start talking about how do we affect change systemically, okay? And systemically is how do you develop talent? How do you change your? Uh, you could argue that if you take a look at your at your DE and I efforts, how far upstream are you working? in your talent pipeline to create op- opportunity, right? So it's not just your hiring practice, but how are you growing the talent pool? 
And that's where at, at some point, at sometimes I, you can take a look or I can take a look at the challenges that exist and they can, to me, appear almost overwhelming. Like, oh my goodness, there are so many things that are just systemically broken. But if you think in terms of how do I change power structure, that comes down to people and how can I, how can I bring more, how can I bring more, invite more people to the party and how can I invite them to show up uh, as themselves and, and not ask them to assimilate, right? Ask them to bring the best version of themselves. You know, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of people uh, from different cultures think to themselves very overtly when I show up to work, I now need to talk a different way. I can't, you and I don't do that. We don't think about, maybe right. we clean up our language right. a little bit, right? Little but bit. we don't, but we don't, yeah, a little bit, but we don't, but we don't code shift. We don't think yeah. about, okay, I now need, could you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine what that's like to have to be a completely different person? Because you know that if you aren't, you are going to limit your career potential, how you're going to be looked like. I, I can't imagine. I, I guess maybe I can a, a, a little bit. So you're talking about things that are so deeply ingrained uh, in people. So how do we change power structure? We change it by, by bringing more people in, by making, giving them a seat at the table, right? And by letting everyone know that when more people show up and they're encouraged to be who they are, it actually makes business a better, right? As opposed to this, what we've done traditionally, which is we try to homogenize things. Let's get everybody to act like the dominant culture, which is had been white men, and now maybe it's more white men and, and, and white women, but let's call it what it is. That's basically what happens is, is, is get you to act white and so that you could homogenize, you can do that, you know, how do we change that over time and get and, and let people know that, you know what, you're actually missing out on a lot of amazing talent and a lot of amazing points of views. If you would tell people, you know what, I don't need you to show up and be anyone other than who you are. In fact, I need you to be the best version of yourself and not, not the version that you think I, I want you to be. But there's... <laughs> You're talking about uh, uh, there's there's a lot of ingrained belief and a lot of ingrained things that, again, it's biases that we don't maybe even know that we have. I will say that at Media Hub, I think they did they did they did more than just talk the talk. I felt like they they recognized internally that we don't have people here that are capable of doing the the education and the the organizational change. So they brought in third-party companies to help mm -hmm. with uh, some of the educational programs, some of the resources. They scheduled mandatory talks. They had uh, a lot of different programs that, in, again, evolved around education. But they also did something which I thought was really good. They did have some metrics for success. They said, hey, at the end of the year, we want to you know, increase percentages of people hired. We also wanted to do satisfaction mm -hmm. surveys with employees to make sure that they felt heard and listened and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that the, uh, I don't know if they were as successful as they wanted to be, but at least I felt like they were, they were heading in the right direction. I, I think it, 
look, I, I certainly, the last thing I would want to do is to give the impression that lots of companies aren't doing, aren't, aren't headed in, in the right direction. I think there are a lot of, I, I like to assume the best of people. I think that, I like to think that the vast majority of people in companies want to do the right thing. But fundamentally, I think that whether they're doing it or not, I think that DE&I success at companies will ultimately be dictated by our, our companies orienting DE&I success around, are they judging it by a change in, in, in power structure? Is if, if that, that to me is ultimately what the success metric should be is, is the, what does the C-suite look like, right? Is, is the C-suite reflective of society at large? If you were to take the Fortune 500 and you were to put right now, if you were to put all of their C-suite photos up, I haven't done this. I'm curious what that would look like. And is that as diverse as as it could be my guess is that is that there is there's some room to go so you know when we go back to the i think chris i think you you said it was it was it was cbs is um if if de and i is is viewed as a hiring practice and if it's viewed as a cultural practice i think it's easier to get rid of than if it's viewed as a business imperative and that my business will be less successful if, if I don't have the right people with the right seat at the table who are giving me, you know, an acculturated point of view. You know, I almost wonder if, cause a lot of companies seem to be focused on the next 12 to 18 months. I wonder if this is like a ten. Welcome to America. <laughs> but coming I, to America. But in terms right? of just like what you were saying, John, about you know changing what the the face of the C suite looks like, that's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a year. It's something that you may have to look at in over a course of ten years, and say, hey, I'm going to groom some yeah. people. I'm going to get them ready for the next level, and that might take a while. You might have some superstars in your team that will help make the company more diverse just because of who they are, their backgrounds. And to do mm -hmm. that, you, they may be in positions that are, they're not ready for the C-suite. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think right there, you, you get to maybe the, the heart of, of the matter is how ready are we for change? And that is, you know, um, I, I wrote something in a, a LinkedIn post the other day that, you know, bias is like a cancer because it morphs to remain invisible, right? What, you know, bias is, a, is as alive and well in many ways as it's ever been. It just goes places depending on what is acceptable. It used to be acceptable in one way, and now it's acceptable in different ways. We see now in the current climate, it's now... It's now maybe okay to be more overt about it than it than it has been in in a in a different way. You know, the question is, you know, how much bias still really exists, and 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 how hard is that ceiling going to be to break through? And 
I suspect it's going to be hard to break through. Yeah, but as you said, bias, though, can take so many different forms. You can have a bias based on race, based on gender, based on education level, based on the education you went to. If you didn't think that was a good enough grad school versus somebody else's grad school, regardless of the person and what they can do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's to me, that one's a really, really hard one to stamp out because it takes so many different forms and so many different ways that aren't clear cut, if you will that um that was a very interesting one well i i think I, I i couldn't agree with you more and in fact i'll actually i'll actually do you one better and that is many of us have biases we're not even aware of that it is so ingrained in who we are we don't know we may yeah. have cultural biases yeah. Yeah. that deep down inside of us we don't know exists. Yeah, that's 100% true. That they yeah. they have been there for so long. And 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 one thing that 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 DEI practitioners and I haven't personally gone through this, but certainly through through my program, through colleagues and other people, I I, I had a, a, a one of my one of my professors talk about we were talking about change and he said something that struck me and he said one of the hardest things to deal with is is you will run up against you. Someone will be say they want to change. They'll be resisting it, and you'll realize that they have they they have bias they're not even aware of. And if they're not even aware of it, how are they going to change it? Right. And so most of us have, you know, we can look. We put rose colored glasses on when we look at ourselves. We want to see the best versions of ourselves. I will tell you as I've gone through this program. I like to think I'm a pretty nice guy. I like to think I'm 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 pretty open minded. I have biases. I'm not even aware of, and I go through this. And I'm like, oh man, I kind of think that, right? And it's like, oh god, it's so painful. So it is, and I think this may be the single greatest challenge. Is it is it is hard work. It is hard work to get a hundred percent honest with yourself a hundred percent honest with yourself and say, what, what are my biases? What is holding me back? And, and by the way, to do that when I don't have to, if there's no business imperative, you know, it's like, it's like trying to lose weight before the doctor tells you, you have to, you know? And so that's where I think we get to really the essence of, where DEI change can be so hard is it's going to ask all of us to ask ourselves some really uncomfortable questions to get honest with ourselves, to maybe say some things out loud. Maybe there's some things we think about women that we don't want to say. Maybe there are some things that we think about when someone talks in a certain dialect that we don't want to say out loud, right? If you really get honest with yourself, what do I really think? What do I really think about? What would I think about a CEO if they showed up at a meeting dressed a certain way? What would my bias be? What would I immediately assume about them? And then, by the way, am I prepared to say that out loud? Am I prepared? I mean, even as I say those things, I have assumptions. I don't know that those assumptions are right, but I have them. So, 
you know, that's what makes all of this so difficult. And, and, and you want to talk about, you know, how systemic some of this stuff is, you know, we've got behaviors. You, you, you want to have your mind blown, go read the book cast about, uh, C-A-S-T-E about what's been going on racially in this country for over 400 years. There's a lot of heavy stuff. And so you're, you're talking about a lot of beliefs that are so deeply ingrained in us. Are we ready to ask ourselves, each of us, the hard questions? And are we prepared for the answers? And are we prepared to challenge those assumptions? That's going to take time, Caleb, when you talk about it, it's going to take time to change things. I think that's what's going to take time because even people with the best intentions, it's hard to have these conversations. It's hard to admit that we're not as open-minded. Well, you know, I think just in the conversation that we've had thus far, we've only just peeled the first layer of the onion. (laughs) But the other thing I was going to say is just hearing both you guys talk on this, there is no silver bullet. There isn't just here. If we just do this, if we just hire this person or just celebrate Hispanic heritage month, we're we're good. It's like, no, there has to be multiple things. You have to attack it in different ways. You have to have a hiring practice that's more inclusive. You have to, you you do have to hire people who are empowered that have a budget and maybe a staff. You have to maybe look at the current suite and have them. This is going to sound harsh, but reprogrammed. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I, I I think you know we're talking about overcome coming some things that are centuries in the making. Yeah. And there is no well. If we just do this, the light will the light will will turn on and. Uh, in many ways, it's why I'm so fascinated by doing this by a guy, a, you know, a 56 year old educated straight white guy. Uh, am am thinking, what can I change about myself? And there are things that I can change. You know, I'm learning about myself, and you know, like I said I like to think I'm a pretty open minded, wonderful liberal guy. In a lot of ways, I am, but I have biases. And and if if there's it, I, I think it it starts with us recognizing, you know, we we probably need to at, be willing to ask ourselves some questions, right? If there's anything anybody takes away from any of this, is maybe get willing to ask yourself some hard questions, or to at least entertain the notion to ask yourself, what are my biases, and what role do they play? In, in my profession, I'm not even going to get into personal life because that's not what this is about. But, you know, you, you want to start down a path, ask yourself, what are my biases? Honestly, ask yourself, what are, a, what are cultural assumptions that I make and what role do they play in, in, in my professional life? It's, uh, it is uncomfortable but important work. We didn't even talk about mentorship and the role that plays in cultivating talent and bringing people up through the ranks. And, you know, John, you mm. said it, I think a little bit uh, earlier, maybe uh, we hadn't started yet, but like, you know, you and I, we've been mentors to other people. They've come to us and said, Hey, I really learned a lot from you. And I know you and I, and Chris as well. It's like, we've learned a lot from people who supervised us throughout our careers yeah. that we've taken on and hopefully we've passed along some of those lessons to other people. It's like, that's an area that I think is something that needs 
a separate focus that talks about the whole DNI initiatives because I think mentorship is something that's where people learn to be able to get into the C-suite and be able to really affect change. And to your point earlier, John, that's how you drive revenue. It's like you have, right. you have people that know what they're doing and they bring their diversity to the, to the, to the big table. And because of that, and because they've kind of come up the ranks and had good people mentoring them, they're able to affect change that does drive revenue. Well, I was, uh, you know, cultural change starts at the top and, you know, anytime someone's new at a job or, or new in a career, right. You start, you look for models, you look for people, you know, who's successful, and uh, okay, and hopefully you have a good boss, but you'll look for people who are successful and we naturally pay attention to what they do. And I, I actually, I, I had a coaching client yesterday, or maybe it was, was the, the day before, and we were talking about, you know, how do you build a psychologically safe culture? And, and one of the things that we talked about was, imagine if you got together after a uh, a very difficult project. Maybe it didn't go well. And the team got together, 10 people and the boss came in and the, and the boss started the meeting that said, you know, I don't think I did a very good job for you guys. I just don't think I did. I don't like how I showed up. Uh, I don't like any number of things. You know, I, I'd love to hear from you guys how I could have helped you better. Okay. Um, I'd like to think that in that situation, like what's the culture that, that all of a sudden that person, what that person set up was it's okay for me to say, I'm not perfect because what you might have is you're going to have everyone else start to say, you know what? I don't need to protect myself. I can, I can raise my hand and say, you know what? I struggled there. So that's where the role of mentorship is, is what's the behavior that I'm modeling that inspires other people to behave. So funny enough, I actually have a story about this and I'll leave the company out of it. I was at a company and the senior leadership went to their first line and said, we want each of you to give us a review of the good things and the bad things that you like and that you don't like and that we can do better. And we actually want you to more focus on what we need to improve on so that way we can become better leaders. Okay. So we sit down, we talk about it, we structure it out. HR is with us. We get into a good place that we can present back. The person comes in the room. We do the presentation. They say they take it all in. They say they take it fine. They have no qualms. Six months later, it comes time for end of year reviews and your bonuses. Every single one of us got docked by that leader because he didn't like what we had to say. And he took it out on us at our end of year reviews and our bonuses. So to your point, there we go. You asked us to be honest. You, so you, you literally, and this is what I said to HR after I left the room, like you don't understand the damage you just did to everybody who was told to be honest, took you at your word and then got turned around and got screwed by the company for being honest. There's no trust now left in this company. Yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll get, I'll get th theoretical for a second. And, and this relates to certainly DE&I and, 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 and what we're talking about. But, you know, how do you create mentorship? And, and so you, you, you have kind of, you, you have two orientations. 
One is what's called a performance orientation. The performance orientation is I am my performance, okay? And if I have a performance orientation, my primary objective is to consistently show you that I'm good at my job. My number one fear is that you're going to think that I'm not good at my job. So that's that's my orient. Everything is about that. What will happen if I'm in that situation, if I'm in that, I will never, ever uh, show you anything that is uh, may show that I'm, I don't know what I'm, I'm, I'm good at my job is a threat. Okay. Then you've got the, the learning orientation. Now the learning orientation, you may say is, oh yeah, well, you know, oh, it's a person who's open to learning. It's actually more than that. It's a person that says, in order for me to, to be competent, I have to actively learn from others. So it's not just I'm open, but I have to actively seek learning. And so you have a person who clearly had a performance orientation. And so what you did was you said that you said things that they said, oh, my God, I'm not good at my they think I'm not good at my job. And so they they, they, they took that personally. So if we if we relate that back to this thing that we're talking about here is, you know, how do you have a learning orientation where people are willing when it comes to, to DE&I? are willing to get uncomfortable, are willing to have conversations, to say things out loud. And, you know, I think people, we can get so afraid about, I'm going to get outed on social media or something's going to, I'm going to say something and I'm going to get fired. It's going to be career right, ending. Right. And, you know, ha, you know, how do we change that dynamic where we're, where we are able to say, I don't know, you know, what do you think? I was thinking, you know, and, and it, and again, because we are, we're so quick to judge right now, and the smallest thing can be taken out of out of context. Look, even as I have this conversation with you, or I I I, I send something out, or I post something in, in terms of DE and I, there is a part of me that goes, "Oh my goodness, can one sentence be taken, and then John's going to be painted as as this guy?" But you know what? Look, I, this is who I am. This is what I think. This is the process that I'm I'm going through. But you know, we have to, I think, more and more, be willing to have these conversations, be willing to take chances, be willing to learn. And how do we model this kind of learning orientation and say the only way any of this happens is if everybody says it's okay. You know, we need to learn, and it's okay to say, I don't know tell me what I'm missing, you know, to ask someone of, of a different culture, you know, I just, how was, did I, did I say something wrong in that meeting or, or did, did you feel left out in that meeting? Or, you know, do we have a, a, a culture where you can begin to have those conversations where it's through the spirit of learning and through inclusion? It's hard, man. This is, none of this stuff is a layup. None yeah. of it is a layup. Yeah. Well, I think, thank you for, this has been a great conversation. I, I feel like we could go on for another couple hours talking about this and still not oh, have sure. any yeah. of the answers. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all we've, we've established, like, fuck, we got a lot of work to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Good chatting with you guys. Good to see you guys. Chris, go fix that internet. Yeah.